Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Self Made Mastery. I am your host, Adrian Finch, and this is episode number 92 the mindset shift that transformed my business. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Self Made Mastery Podcast, your ultimate guide to total transformation. I'm your host, Adrian Finch, and I believe wholeheartedly that anyone from any background can create and live their dream life. And the best part is, you only need one thing to start, your mind. So join me here every Wednesday on this transformative journey to master your mindset and unlock your greatest potential. Let's go. Welcome back to the Self-Made Mastery Podcast. As I said, I'm Adrian Finch and I am your host. Thank you so much for being here. This is an exciting episode. I hope you all have had an awesome week. Um, I'm very excited because in today's episode, we're discussing three of the most important lessons I've learned on my entrepreneurial journey thus far and how to start actually applying them to your own life or business. I've obviously learned so many more things than just these, but I wanted to take the time to specifically highlight these things because I do believe that they can, without a doubt, have some of the greatest impact on your life and your business. So these are not just like mistakes to avoid or things to do. They're kind of fundamental values and beliefs that if you choose to adopt will really become a part of who you are and everything that you do here forward. If you choose to shift your perspective and embrace these values and kind of tips as I have, they will come out in every decision you make going forward in your business. It's kind of a filter that you'll start to see the world through. And it, in a way that I personally believe, as do so many other successful CEOs and business owners that I've heard say it, that I believe have the power to change your life. So that's exciting. Now, obviously we're all entitled to our own opinions and in no way am I wanting to force anyone to have like the same values that I do in business. This is simply the shift in thinking that has enlightened me in so many ways and made trusting in myself and my decisions so much easier, which have then led to greater success and income and happiness. So these things have truly, truly transformed my business in ways I couldn't have imagined. So of course I wanna share it with you. And I'm always open to your thoughts. I wanna know, you know, does this resonate? with you and any other things that you can add. So as always, go over to the Instagram at selfmademasterypod and let me know your thoughts. But um, other than that, we're just going to get right on into it. So there's kind of three categories I'm going to talk about today. The first one is that those who value people over profits will profit from those people. I love that little quote saying those who value people over profits will profit from those people now I say this all the time and I'll say it again impact generates income right maybe now this is a bit more common knowledge like you guys you know are aware that being impactful can drive uh, profits and income but it's still worth emphasizing because I witness business owners every single day who just don't seem to get that and we'll get more into it because there are some nuances that are important to sort of talk about but the first thing is it's it's a tough pill to swallow when you realize that it's really not about you, what you're doing, right? It's not about you. The entrepreneurial journey, creating a business or a brand or a product or service or goods, it's not about you. They're being sold to people, right? Even B2B companies, so business to business, you know, companies that sell to other businesses are still selling to people. 
every job on earth is serving someone, right? There kind of isn't a self-serving job in the universe that I can think of besides maybe like being a day trader, but even then you're putting money into the economy and benefiting whatever company you invested in. So essentially every single job that exists, every single business is serving people. And the more that you hit the nail on the head and give those people exactly what they need to solve whatever problems they have, the more likely your business is to succeed, period, point blank, okay? So not only do you need to obsess over your ideal customers and their needs, but the more that you can build real relationships with them, the more you will succeed. Because relationships, honestly, are the heartbeat of the business. And now I'm not saying like, you know, necessarily having one-on-one relationships with every single customer you've ever had. That's obviously not viable. And, you know, if you're having, if you're, goal is to become a very large international business, you know, like obviously you're not going to have one-on-one relationships. So I more just mean though, the rapport that's established between your business and the voice of your business and the values that you have and how they connect and align with the customer. Um, so again, relationships really are the heartbeat of a business. Other people or other companies might offer what you offer, but maybe they don't have the personal touch like you do or the more lenient return policy or the understanding and responsive customer service agents, right? Sure, implementing those things may take a little profit from your bottom line right now, right? But it's elements like those that allow for a long-term, durable, profitable relationship to form. You need to be able to be okay in my opinion, with, you know, taking some of those cuts by giving better service, by having a better policy so that those people become loyal to you because people remember most how your product or service or sales experience made them feel, right? And if it made them feel good, if it took away confusion or if it made their life that much easier or solved a problem, you know, they're more likely to buy from you. People want to support things they believe in too and, and people that they like working with. One, one example just in my personal life is I go to this like local hole-in-the-wall computer repair shop every time my laptop or phone needs fixing. And people always ask me why I don't just take it to Apple. It's right next door to where I live and you know it's easier. And I tell them it's because the process at this smaller place is so simple. They are so organized and professional. Nothing is confusing. They're willing to negotiate and explain everything to me. They update me every step of the way. They print out this itemized receipt. Like... It's very simple things that they do that should really just be the standard of every business, but unfortunately it's just not. They make it so easy to have an issue with my computer, get it diagnosed. Like they're not going to charge anything until they call me and tell me what's wrong. Like it's so simple, yet it's because of how smooth and effective the process is that I continue to go there every single time. And honestly, part of it is that it's not this big corporate company where I know that bottom line and profits is just the number one priority no matter what. That's what it feels like, at least. Like, I can't say for sure that that's Apple's number one priority. But, you know, like going to this smaller place where they have created this extremely seamless process that just makes me feel like comfortable and just at ease that in itself has made me absolutely loyal to that place I continue to go there every single time I recommend it to my friends and so like that's just one example of kind of how important it is to create an experience that makes people feel good or it makes their lives easier versus just being you know just about the profit and I'll get to that in a second 
Um, but I would explain this company that that repair place as, you know, being in the business of people and they happen to repair computers versus they repair computers for people, you know? And I actually got that quote from the founder and CEO of Starbucks. When asked one time what the secret to Starbucks success was, he answered by saying, we are not in the coffee business serving people, but we're in the people business serving coffee. So I love, love, love that quote. I think it's so powerful and so representative of the success that Starbucks has had is that they're in the people business. They develop and train their employees around how to deal with customers and the attitude that they want their employees to have and and how to embody you know all the values and the mission of Starbucks, which has to do with serving people and being a part of their everyday ritual and routine and something special and something that is nostalgic or whatever it is versus just, oh, we serve coffee to people. Like they're in, a, they're in the people business. They just happen to serve coffee. I just love that quote. And so the same can be true for you, right? If you put your customers first or your market or your audience first, their needs, their desires, the relationship you have with them, the profit will follow. It always does. So here's how you can apply this one to your business. When you make decisions in your business, there are different motivators, right? Different things you have to consider um, and, and different filters you have to go through before you make a decision. Money and relationships happen to be two of them. And usually, more often than not, money outweighs relationships, only in the sense that you're a business, right? You're obviously in this for a profit, unless it's a nonprofit. You need to make money in order to live and continue running your business. And this is all good and fine. But the problem comes when money is the driver of your business, the driver of all your decisions. When you start to put money first, it comes at a cost. You often have to sacrifice things that make the customer service experience better, right? Which in time could cause you to lose loyal customers and lose sales, if you start making impact outweigh money as the driver of your business, you'll open the floodgates to generating even more income than you'll know what to do with, truly. So it's as simple as this. When you impact, the income will come. When you are able to offer a solution to a problem they have, a problem so big or emotionally draining or financially draining or physically draining, when you can take that away and offer them a fix, they will spend any amount of money they need to get their hands on it, especially when you do so in a way that builds a relationship and you know is makes them feel good and happy and makes it easy and whatever. So the more you focus on making sure that what you offer is irresistible and completely necessary, which by the way, involves focusing more on the people themselves, their needs, the relationship you have with them, the more money you will ultimately make, period, okay? So again, just to repeat, it's when businesses only drive their decisions based on money that things can go awry because it's never worth it. Like nickel and diming the customer or the audience member in a way that may lose their interest or you know make them feel negatively about your company or the experience they had. Now, obviously you have to like make money, right? Like you, you can't just be like giving out all these freebies all the time. You need to know your worth. And there's a balance, obviously, with everything that you do. But the difference between companies that have the number one driving force be making money versus companies that of course want to make money, but their number one driving force is impact. The income potentials for those two types of companies are drastically, drastically different. 
And now I do want to clarify something really quick before we move on. People often think that this means you shouldn't do something for money, right? Or you shouldn't start something because you want to make money or you shouldn't have the goal or desire to make more money. And that is all completely false, okay? I love money. I want to make tons of money. And money is a huge reason for doing a lot of things that I do. But it's never ever the driving force of my business, right? So I might do things because I love that there's potential for income. I want to make money. I might stop doing certain things that aren't making me as much money. But money is never the driving force of the business. And why? Because monetary decisions have short-term payoff while impact-driven decisions have a long-term payoff, more than you could even believe. And truth be told, that's why entrepreneurs have a pretty much limitless income potential compared to corporate employees, right? Where there's usually a ceiling. It's because they're in it first for the passion and second for the profits. They're so passionate about innovation and creating something that solves a problem or changes the human experience that when they are able to actually do that, it's extremely profitable, more than any corporate job could ever become even at the highest level. Like the income potential is the biggest. Um, but it's not as, at first, right? Entrepreneurs are for sure in the people business. They want to innovate the human experience. They want to create a solve for people. And if that is the number one driving force, then the profits will come. So that's number one, just kind of really emphasizing once again that if you value people over profits, you will profit from those people. Impact generates income. Okay, moving on to number two, which is that Self-evaluation is so necessary, but also often so misleading. Now, this is an interesting one, and I think it'll give you kind of a fresh, different perspective that's pretty interesting. I often talk about the importance of self-evaluation and self-reflection, right, on the podcast. It's one of the most effective self-improvement techniques because it not only allows you to fully know yourself inside and out, but as a byproduct, it increases your confidence tremendously. You know yourself, you know why you are the way you are. You're able to improve on the things you don't love about yourself. You're able to embrace the things you love about yourself. So you become way more confident in who you are because you know who you are. And a lot of our lives we spend just not really knowing who we are or trying to like figure out who we want to be, right? So once you kind of like can evaluate and reflect and by the way, we'll always be changing. Who we are is always changing, which is why I emphasize constant self-reflection so that you always know who you are and why, and it's intentional, right? Um, And as we all know, self-confidence is key when it comes to chasing your dreams. If you can believe it, you can achieve it. And having faith in ourselves and our abilities is so important in getting there. So self-evaluation and self-reflection are so important. But, (laughs) but... What we must not do, which we too often do, is ignore or rather not receive at all feedback from others, okay? So listen, it's great if you think you're doing a great job, you're being a great spouse or a great friend or excelling at work, but what do others have to say about it? Specifically, the ones who, like those statements affect, you know? Does your spouse think you're being a great spouse? Do your friends think you're being a great friend? Some people will literally go a lifetime without hearing key behavioral feedback from others or just any type of feedback from others. 
And by the way, this 100% goes for businesses and brand evaluation as well, not just personally. In fact, here I'm actually kind of more emphasizing the business side of this because that's what we're talking about. Um, but it's all the same in terms of this reflection, which is that, yes, you need to self-evaluate. Yes, you need to self-reflect. But are you ignoring what other people are saying too? Can they back up what you're thinking and saying about yourself? Sometimes we expect that people will tell us automatically if we're falling short, right? Like, oh, well, they would tell me if I wasn't doing a good job. But the truth is that more often than not, people honestly won't unless prompted. Like they won't just walk up to you and give unsolicited feedback. A lot of people won't. Why? Well, many reasons, but some people don't have the courage to be honest. And I don't blame them. It's kind of hard telling someone that they're falling short in a certain area um, if they didn't ask, you know, especially, yeah, if it's not all like 10 out of 10 feedback, it's hard. It's hard to have the courage or maybe they don't know how to say it in the right way. And this is why it's so important in business to ask for feedback, especially at the early stages, because it doesn't matter how cool you think an idea is or how successful you think it'll be. It that, that honestly doesn't matter. If you haven't asked the market their thoughts, you're just shooting in the dark. You can make an educated guess, but like it might not be something they want or need. And you might waste your time creating this whole thing, spending time and money and energy when you could have just asked them and realized, oh, nine out of 10 people actually don't need this. Oh, okay, weird. Like I totally thought they would, right? And of course, follow your heart, do whatever you want to do. That's the beauty of entrepreneurship. But if you want to be successful and if you want to have a product or a service that people need or care about or buy, you do have to care what the market thinks. They're, they're the ones paying you. And the thing is, it's so much rarer these days to receive critical feedback that we honestly need in order to see our blind spots. Like we hardly receive that feedback. So we end up resorting to that self-evaluation I was talking about, which don't get me wrong, is also incredibly important. As I mentioned, introspection is important, but sometimes our opinions of ourselves can actually be a little overrated. The same way they can be underrated, right? And we tend to focus way more on the underrating because it's such a common problem. Like, you know, we so often will talk down to ourselves or criticize ourselves or be, you know, let our insecurities take over and keep us from trying to achieve something or, you know, there's so much addressing the negative and the underrating and we address it by pushing things like more positive self-talk and loving yourself and accepting your flaws and telling yourself you're doing a great job, which again, by the way, is absolutely great and amazing and necessary. But I'm kind of shedding light on sort of a flip side because these things actually work in harmony, though they go hand in hand. We need to do both. That all is great. But once we've mastered that, we also need to evaluate the opposite. Are we getting too positive about ourselves that we're actually missing key pitfalls or things we could improve on? Things we would want to improve on, right? Like I always want to improve myself. If I'm feeling self-conscious and I'm talking down to myself, I definitely need to like snap out of it and, you know, have some positive self-talk. But I'm also not in the business of trying to just like, talk highly about myself and actually ignore the things that might be legitimate problems or that people might be bothered by or things that I can change and improve to become a better version of myself because ultimately that's always what I'm trying to do. So we sort of have to keep this balance of like, you know, um, managing that underrating, you know, negative self-talk and 
pumping ourselves up and reflecting and and being grateful for what we have and the skills we have and how great we are, but we also need to not get too positive about ourselves that we literally fail to ask anyone else their feedback and kind of end up missing key things that we could improve on. So it's tricky, but we have to find that balance between underrating and overrating ourselves. And more importantly, we just have to make sure our opinions of ourselves is accurate, right? And the best way to do that is to get feedback. So there's this author, Dean Del Sesso. He has this awesome book about thought shifting. And he says, if we want to get the critical evaluation we need to improve in just about every area of our lives, we need to create the space for others to be honest with us and allow them to tell us what is on their minds without being defensive. The more honest the feedback, the more valuable it is which is so true and it you know it can be so uncomfortable too but we'll talk about that in a second. Now, it's also important to note though that what one person thinks of you is not suddenly the truth written in stone, right? Everyone has their personal experiences and biases and truth be told, there will be some opinions of you that you simply just don't agree with because you do know yourself better. But let's say two or more people tend to give you similar feedback that maybe you haven't heard before. You can pretty much take it as truth no matter how much you want to argue it or say it's not your intention to be that way. If people are getting that intention or that, um, if people are getting that, oh my gosh, I'm spacing out on the word, impression. If people are getting that impression, even if you're not meaning to, like that's valuable information to know and you kind of can't ignore it, right? Getting feedback can literally be so uncomfortable. So uncomfortable, right? It can hurt, it can feel bad. And often it feels way better to just ignore it or avoid it. I definitely have been guilty of this before. But the most damaging feedback is actually the feedback that never gets delivered, right? So take it as a blessing because it means you can act on it and you can actually change something. So that's sort of the whole second lesson, which is like, obviously self-evaluate, self-reflect. We have to do that. We already do that. But the second lesson is also in doing so, don't ignore feedback from others. Don't ignore the perception of others that others have of you. How are you seen? What are things like, you know, you can never experience yourself from a third party perspective. So I think it's really helpful to actually ask people. It's the only way to improve is to ask for honesty. So you just have to ask yourself, how much do you want to improve? How much do you want your business to improve? Are you willing to hear some uncomfortable things that ultimately will be better. Like you want to hear it because you want to improve, right? I mean, you have to hear it in order to improve. And by the way, what's one form of feedback that we don't really like, but it is indeed feedback that's valuable? Failure. Ding, ding, ding. Failure is feedback. I say that all the time that if you fail something or if something fails, quote unquote, it's not a failure, but rather feedback. Oh, this didn't work. Why didn't this work? Let's figure it out so we can make it work, right? Failure is feedback. It's almost harder to make something perfect and make something better without having failed because you don't really know what to fix. You need to go ask for feedback. If something just doesn't work, then you know it doesn't work and you then figure out, okay, why didn't this work and how can I change it? So when you kind of put that ego aside, it just makes a world of difference. All right, and moving on to the last and final lesson that transformed my business, the mindset shift that transformed my business is understanding that fear must be managed. Fear must be managed. 
for example, I mean, one of the biggest things that comes to mind is the idea that fear of losing money is usually the number one reason you'll lose money. And that's just one example. But think about a recession, right? Everyone freaks out and sells their stock because they're worried they'll lose everything they've invested. And it's a scary thought. I totally get it. It is extremely scary. Like that's very real. That's your life savings, right? But what maybe they don't know or more importantly, they just don't have faith in is that in the end, the market always comes back around. Throughout every single recession in history, the economy has still net grown. So the people that are willing to have faith in that versus give in to their fear that somehow in some way this recession will be different are the people that will see major profit in the long run. The people who gave in to their fear unfortunately lost that potential of making seriously huge amounts of money because they were scared and they sold it all off and didn't get that opportunity to gain, right? Obviously, that's one very niche example, but I think it's a good example of illustrating how fear can literally cause you to lose money. Like when you don't take chances, you can miss out on opportunities. So the same goes for business here, right? When you're scared to take risks or try something new in your business because it could potentially result in a loss if it fails, you're also not giving yourself the opportunity to grow. Like, what if it fails? Sure. But what if it doesn't and it leads you to 10x your growth and your profit in the upcoming year, right? I can guarantee you 100% that there will be a ceiling to your growth if you're not okay with taking risks. And I get it. It is scary, which is why this whole category is called fear management, which we'll get to in a second. Because it is scary. It is Scary to take risks where you don't know what's going to happen, especially when money or other things really are on the line. But your business will eventually plateau. It truly will. It'll stop growing. It won't have anywhere else to go. And that will be only because of your fear, right? If you lose money because you took one chance that failed, but then you increase profit because you took another chance and it worked, doesn't it make taking risks worth it? Like, as long as it works one time, doesn't that pay off for all the loss that, you know, potentially another risk that didn't pan out created. Like in the long run, you aren't going to remember the one failed attempt that lost you a couple thousand dollars, right? You'll be so thankful for those few wins that made you more money than any of those losses combined. And more so, it's even just this mindset that doesn't even need to have to do with money, right? It's just like, you have to have faith that it will work and that you will fail along the way. You might fail multiple times and you might lose something or lose money, but that all of that is literally part of the process and that if you don't ever take those chances, you will never grow. So if you're okay with staying where you are, then sure, you don't need to you know, take any chances or make any changes. But if you want the most out of yourself and your business and you know, if you want to unlock that full potential, You have to take chances. It's the only way for one of them to work. And believe it or not, though, this is actually not the lesson I'm trying to teach here. The lesson is that actually we must manage our fear with systems and consistence the way we'd manage anything else in our lives. And it's kind of about managing our fear. Because here's the thing. Fear is a part of every aspect of our lives. It has always existed and it will continue to always exist. We are human beings. Fear is just there. We will feel fear. So I'm not telling you to stop being scared, but I'm going to tell you how to manage that fear and make sure it doesn't stop you from making needle moving decisions in your business. It's like the same way you hire someone to manage your money or you might hire someone, right? Or someone hired someone to manage their money. 
you're naturally hired to manage your own fear, right? Like you were assigned this, you got to be the fear manager. And ironically enough, the money manager is also probably managing a little bit of your financial fear because they're taking that off your plate and you know, you're trusting them with their expertise to deal with your money so you don't have to worry about it. But anyway, that's not the point. So as the manager of your fear, you need to assess every aspect of your life and how you are or aren't currently dealing with fears, okay? And doing this will allow you to run them. You will be able to run them, right? They're your employees. The fears are your employees and you are the manager. You don't want to let them run you. You don't want to let the fear run what decisions you make, right? So it's wise to have some sort of a system to maintain all of them. Because again, if we just accept that fear is a part of the human experience, then we just have to manage it. So we just have to assess and reflect and discover which areas in our lives are we feeling a lot of fear and which areas of fear or, you know, which fears are stopping us from making decisions that we think we might need to make, right? Discovering those areas that need help, aka which fears tend to control your decision making, will help so much. And then if you can block out time to actually confront those issues and come up with some potential solutions, that'll also help so much. Um, And also, you know, I always highly recommend seeking perspective from others and talking these things out. Uh, That's just always helpful. So an example of this, in case you're like, what are you talking about? (laughs) Um, Really, it's really as simple as it sounds. For me, like, If I've put off launching a product because I'm scared of what people will think of it or I'm scared that I'll do all this work and it won't pan out, so therefore I haven't launched it yet. If I can reflect and recognize, all right, I haven't launched my product. So you can start with sort of a problem you're facing, right? Like I haven't launched this product. Like I haven't made any money from it. Why haven't I launched it? And then can we reflect on that? Can we find an answer? Like, is it because of fear? Because guys, nine times out of 10, your your answer will be fear. Fear does control a lot of what we do, whether we even know it or not. So a lot of times it'll be fear. So you ask yourself, all right, why haven't I launched this? What's the deal? Like, what am I waiting for? And upon reflection, I recognize, oh gosh, okay. It's because I'm kind of scared of this. I'm sort of scared of launching this and having it flop and having done all that work and just not seeing a profit or whatever. And then if I can recognize that, then I can develop techniques to combat that. And even as simple as just reminding myself of all the legitimate reasons why it doesn't matter if people don't like it. In fact, it'll actually help because again, it's feedback and feedback is the only way to perfect your offering. If I didn't get that feedback, I'd never be able to improve my product and get more sales. So if I can almost use fear as a motivator, like, hey, the sooner I launch it, the sooner I'll know the feedback. And the sooner I know the feedback, the sooner I can get to fixing things and trying again. And the sooner I will have, or the sooner I will get to experience success because I fixed it and now it's good, right? So you can write it down. You can put it on a sticky note on your desk, whatever you need to do to assess your fears and then actually deal with them. And hey, that might even mean having a therapist. That might mean talking to a group or a friend about this regularly. Hey, what do you do to manage your fear of, you know, the stock market crashing? I don't know. I keep talking about money, but it could be anything, right? That's called managing fear, addressing it and coming up with techniques. 
And you're not going to be perfect at this right away, but step one is just being aware. If you can start really looking yourself in the mirror and being honest and truthful about the things that you're scared of and what decisions they're affecting, it'll be so helpful. It will transform yourself and your mind and your business in ways you can't even imagine because simply acknowledging the existence of fear and then managing it is all you need to do. Nobody is trying to 100% eliminate your fear. Or I can't say nobody's trying. Like the point here is not to 100% eliminate your fear. Over time, you'll notice that your fear will start to diminish because you are training your mind that this is okay. It is a defense mechanism that in fact helps us succeed. We are risk assessing to survive. The more we can kind of assess and acknowledge that, the more we won't let it run us, the more it won't take over our emotions or completely dictate what decisions we make in our business. That is managing fear. And managing fear is one of the best lessons that I've learned is just that fear must be managed. So you guys, that is actually it for my three kind of biggest lessons and the mindset shift that has absolutely transformed my business. A lot of these things do have to do with income because at the end of the day, businesses are there to make money. So again, it's not the driving factor and it should not be the driving factor. But what I also wanna talk more about is money because guess what? We all still want money. Like we wanna do passion projects. We wanna do things we love, but we also want to make a living doing it. And that's what we're here to talk about is the fact that there are so many potential opportunities. There are so many possibilities and ways to monetize things that you love. That's the beauty of it is you don't have to choose one or the other anymore. You can love something and you can make a ton of money doing it. So that's why I want to get more comfortable just with us talking about money because it's not something that should be ignored. It's not something that should be the number one motivator, but it doesn't need to be ignored either. So I hope that you enjoyed this episode. I hope you got something out of it. Thank you so, so much for listening. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts and I'll catch you guys in the next episode. Thanks so much again. Talk to you later.